namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa uddang dhammang sangang namasami So one of the things we're sometimes uh, the Buddha calls to us to consider is the unique possibilities of a human birth, and particularly one where one can is able to hear the teachings of a Buddha and put them into practice. And he said he gave this image of a of a blind turtle in the ocean, and if you threw a wooden ring in the ocean, what's the chance of that blind turtle sticking its head up through the ring? And he said that's as special and precious opportunity <laughs> as being born a human. It's that it's that special, it's that precious. You know, you know the chances of getting a human birth of that in that capacity are that are that rare. Of course this is a Metaphor and analogy, because you can look around and you think, well, there's tons of humans all over the place. You know, what's the big deal about it? And uh, sometimes you kind of don't rank them that highly, really, when you look around. And you think, sometimes blind turtles look a lot wiser than some humans. <laughs> I should have stuck his head up of the ocean and just kept going. Or <laughs> he caused a lot less damage. <laughs> but it is, it is important to, to bear this in mind and say what's so special about being a human you know because you take it for granted and um, you know there's tons of them around so what ordinary but there is this uh, this uh, rec- recommendation the precious human birth you know is to regard it as that so so you just kind of step back from this that we're in so much of the time becomes ordinary humdrum. We try to crank something special out of it, you know, rev it up a bit or trim it or, you know, cuts bits off it or, but, you know, it's like a car that you're trying to fine tune. But often just to kind of really consider thoroughly what it is about being human. Sometimes we, you know, this emphasis we can find on intense practice or getting to, you know, refinement. We sometimes 
miss thoroughness, you know, thorough scoping out the whole ground of human humanity, the, what it is to be a human being, we, we kind of think, well, so what? You know, and then you want to go into something special, something more high-tuned, you know, high power within that realm. A lot of the time, actually, in um, you look in the suttas, a lot of the, lot of the teaching is just not that special, really. It's about you know looking after your kids and not getting drinking and um, not gambling and uh, living a decent life and being generous and uh, living under the five precepts, the eight precepts, or even bhikkhu life isn't really that uh, extraordinary. You know, a lot of it's just grubbing around looking for bits of cloth tacked together, get some robes, get sick, um, trying to get well, um, go out for arms, get hungry, trying to get some food, you know, find other monks you can live without quarrelling too much. You know, pretty pretty humble stuff, really, pretty basic stuff. And then some of the some of the systems techniques are offered aren't really that special, like reciting the, the mantra Buddha when you breathe in and breathe out. Just calming the mind like that and then contemplating what's there in the mind. And using it's calming, stilling the mind is what is it, you know? What is this mind anyway? What is this essential human human mind? Why is it that in the suttas you don't have any chickens getting enlightened or dogs getting enlightened? Uh, some some Buddhists think that every dogs have Buddha nature, but I haven't seen any arahant dogs or even any really moral dogs. Actually, seems to lovable dogs, but you know maybe somewhere there's an isle of arahant dogs, but nobody's come across them yet. So you know. You don't want to be speciesist, but there's something special about being human. Mm-hmm. Something about this development. You know, something about the human consciousness or the way the human mind works is that it's got very strong potential to be able to you know, get an overview of what's going on. It's not just instincts. You know, like you have various instinctive programs, like you feel certain pangs, you know, that's hunger you want to eat. You know, you feel pain, you want to get away from it. You feel pleasure, you want to get into it. Mm-hmm. But then you've got all kinds of other programs going on, like things as well, even though it's pleasant, let's just wait on that one. You know, that's painful, bear with it. You've got something that supervises that. So this kind of ability to supervise our, our instincts, our impulses, our thoughts, our views. And uh, don't, dogs don't seem to do that very well. A cat certainly doesn't. Doesn't supervise a single instinct. <laughs> Just goes for it. So it's precious. This, maybe just this. Maybe just this is it. You know? It's this if you really develop it. You know? Develop that, and why you know just what can happen through what we what why we cultivate uh, restraint and uh, mindfulness, contemplation, 
So we just keep this kind of strengthening up that ability to, to witness, to supervise what's, what's already happening. And this wonderful possibility we have that we're not actually completely embedded in the thoughts and emotions and senses and feelings that come up. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Nor do we really have to dismiss them. You know, it seems that Buddha was able to think and keep thinking most of his life. He certainly had feelings, pleasure and pain, but just saying he didn't let them take over his mind. So they're there, but they're not taking over. So it's that, that real placing one's faith, one's confidence in that ability, human, human potential. So often one of the first things that occurs for someone you know, as they cultivate or as they incline towards cultivating Dhamma, perhaps they don't really know what it is, recognize it or name it. But it is, uh, sometimes it occurs through crisis, like in the, the stories that go along uh, associated with Buddhas of the past, is they see... Uh, you know, an aging person, a sick person, dying, per dead person. And this, wow, some kind of wake up occurs, that's going to happen. So human mind also has this uh, empathic sense. Whatever happens to other humans, uh-uh. <laughs> you know, it mirrors. And we see the distress and the pain of others, something in us recognizes. You know, we resonate with that. So you have this mirroring, mirroring mind, empathy. And we can then also, we have the wisdom faculty to, you know, bear that in, you know, to consider that. And with the mindfulness faculty, which is the ability to actually bring, you know, hold that in the mind. So it's not just, oh, well, shrug it off, but mindfully bringing that to mind, looking at that, considering it. The mindfulness is that capacity that humans have to, to, dwell upon a mental or, or, or a sense object you know just dwell upon it stay with it even though by, you know you could shift your attention to something else and we have an instinctive uh, wisdom faculty or that is able to say that's important that's what's important that's what I want to stay with mm-hmm. so the first thing that really begins to uh, uh, be aroused for people is something uh, Buddhist word is sattā, faith, English translation of that, which means we see we see something, we recognise something, we're impacted by something, and we, something in that causes us to sense there must be something away through this. You don't have it, you get depressed. So we actually all have this faculty, I'm sure. We all have this faculty, we exercise it every day. You know, your computer breaks down, you just lost a month's worth of work, and you don't kill yourself. You know, you probably feel like it. You know, oh, well, there must be a way past this. You know, various tragedies that happen to us. Um, you know, bad days. Something says there will be a tomorrow. Things can be other than this. There can be a change. So this, this faculty also. So these are... 
qualities of human beings have the reflective capacity, the mindfulness capacity, uh, and the discernment capacity, and the faith capacity. The faith capacity is sometimes understated because we associate it with some sort of belief or another, you know, the Buddhist faith. Buddhist faith means you hold a certain set of theories or ideas like rebirth, Maitreya Buddha, you know, whatever, in your mind and you hold on to those and it kind of helps you to get through. Well, that's that's not actually quite what's meant by faith. That's more like belief. Belief is, is means, belief of the effect of belief is to, is to kind of close the mind. That is, you, you hold on to something for security that stops inquiry, stops reflection. You just say, well, just be that, that's enough. And if that goes, when that takes over, it tends towards um, dogmatism or fundamentalism. You know, just hold these series of, of ideas or values, that's it. That's it. Whereas faith is much more the sense of, of uh, you know, themes, reflections, experiences that cause the mind to, to uh, open up. Like, what's that about? What's that mean to me? Where's this going? The faith quality. And uh, it's, it's very important because this is, this is the beginning. And, and the Buddha said there are certain, there are almost like two causes, two fundamental causes for faith. One is faith from, called Sangwega, which means you get a sense of urgency. Hey, you know, suddenly, you know, things are looking bad around me. You know, and that can happen to me too. Old age, sickness, death. Not could happen, but will happen. You know, hey, wake, hey, sense of this, I don't like the look of that, you know. So wake up. Is there a way out of this? And um, so, it, so, or very simply speaking, the, the Buddha says that um, dukkha or suffering is a primary cause for the arising of faith, rather than you know um, belief in something. Now it doesn't always have to be. I mean, you, suffering could be a primary cause for depression and despair, but uh, you know, in a, Taken the right way with reflective mind, it's a sense that you know faith can be can be aroused through that. And these, of course, are experiences that everybody gets in touch with: hmm? old age, sickness, death, change, shifting, wars, you know, the dukkha, the suffering or unsatisfactoriness, rather than leading to uh, complaining or fear or anxiety or grabbing hold of something some sense of, you know, this is asking me to, to uh, reflect on what I'm holding on to, what I'm associating with, what I'm attached to, what I sense myself as being. And, you know, even in reflecting on it, we, we recognize there's that which can reflect upon it. There's something here that's other than that. You know, it's like the, our mind or a quality of our mind is, is bound up with these processes, but it's not innately identified with, you know, a sense of viveka or ability to step back, to not get involved with it all. So this is our, our potential. We're just keeping that, that going. The other, that that 
recognition. And as you, as you develop that, you begin to sense how, you know, a lot of these reflexes that we hardly notice, you're very thorough about it, what we're doing, are to, to, you know, close, close the mind. This is why life gets so kind of ordinary and humdrum and what's the point is because we, we miss the preciousness of it because our mind tends to just, uh, well, you know, not really open and notice what's going on. The other source of faith is um, you see someone who has developed practice, developed a path. You think there is, there is a definitely someone who's not getting, who's not doing all the things that I'm doing <laughs> to 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 to, uh, to avoid seeing old age, sickness, death, to avoid seeing. Uh, these, 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 uh, this unsatisfactoriness. Mm. So, you know, what people customarily, all of us will tend to do, is we'll uh, look towards something that will, you know, divert attention. Very, very clear thing we tend to do, like divert it. It won't happen yet, or there's nothing you can do about it, let's switch on something else we kind of divert attention to it to something else because it's it's that's the easiest way to do it that's the easy way to get out of suffering is to not notice the the, the dissatisfactoriness or the breaking up or the changingness of things let me do that and this habit this diverting or distracting or moving away is uh, uh, it comes down to very very common experiences, you know, not not terribly difficult, not terribly you know ultimate experiences, just like embarrassment, not knowing what to say, uh, feeling nervous, and something that oh, tries to get over it, push past it, mm-hmm. not knowing what to do in the future. Oh well, never mind, just be present. So we. Don't notice doubt or worry or restlessness as they are. And because we, this, as long as we keep doing that, we tend to lose uh, faith in our ability to just allow awareness, allow witnessing, allow that to, to bring that to the fore, which is the essential human quality. I mean, you know, dogs can do, divert their attention to other things. And uh, human beings can stay attentive to the unsatisfying, the difficult, the uncomfortable, and through the power of that attention, that awareness, find that they can come out of the reflexes of aversion or retraction. So you start to have faith in, in awareness. You look around, uh, it's something that's essential, that's kind of, you say, the most fundamental qualities of, of a human mind is the ability to be aware, reflective, 
you know. And uh, when you look at it very thoroughly, then this is something that has its effects on our world around us, physical world, material world around us, social world around us. And a big example of that is is, um, is Sangha. You, know, you can look at this any kind of communities, but also monasteries. For example, this particular place set up um, was established kind of on, on a chance, by chance, by a chance meeting. Several chance meetings, actually. You know, chance meeting of a, of a trust that was set up by as an inspired guest, guest by somebody, a couple of Ardo back in the 1950s, and he thought, well, why not give it a try? It's going to start somewhere. And then went off to Thailand, thought, why not give ordination a try? Come back, and then why not give Sangha a try? Give it a try, because it sort of floundered along, it crumbled, fell apart. And yet, somehow, that sense of, well, you know, keep going, keep practicing, keep looking for that, you know, that quality. And then this chance meeting in the 1970s of the chairman of the trust, the Najan Sumato, just happened to be stopping by, by chance, <laughs> you know. And you can think of these as kind of like, this is all, or, you know, divinely ordained or fate or destiny, but um, who knows? But you, you do recognize the qualities of faith and uh, openness and generosity have a nat- tendency to, a, to, to bear fruit. So out of that, it started something, again, that was, wasn't very accomplished, a tiny little Bihar in London, and then as an act of faith going out on arms round in London, which is an act of faith. So nobody's going to give you food and arms around in London. Uh, well, it so happened they did. Not only did they give us food, they gave us a forest in West Sussex, which isn't, you know, <laughs> it's not a rational <laughs> thought or thing you'd imagine. So it does work. You get a forest. Well, we can do with a forest. Can't live in a forest in England. You know, it's... Uh, too cold, and who's going to feed you, and so forth. Well, we've given a forest. So just by chance, going around the forest, um, this uh, trust chairman meets somebody who says there's a house nearby just coming up for sale, just by chance. Very close, within five-minute walking distance of that. So he goes to the house, House looks kind of, place is really weird, all covered with brambles, like something, something out of Gormenghast or Charles Adams cartoons, you know, expect some ghoulish fiend to open the door. And there's a, this kind of funny old place with lots of ruined cars and brambles and junk lying around everywhere. And uh, he knocks on the door, the owner opens the door and says, this place for sale? He said, yep. Yeah, it's for sale. Can I come in? No. Take it for me, it's a ruin. Okay, I'll buy it. <laughs> you know, act of faith. What is it that makes people do these things, you know? What is that? What is that sense of, well, you know, look at something. And it's not just this place, you know? And then, okay, you move down to, to this dump, and uh, think, well, we lived in London, right in 
Hampstead, which is not a remote area, <laughs> highly populated area, then we get maybe eight people turn up in the evening. Five, ten, big night, you might get twenty. That's all you could get in anyway. So just about getting it. So who's going to come down to this hamlet in West Sussex? You know, to, to, to support it. Don't know. But uh, as um, Ajahn Chah's attitude, when uh, Ajahn Sumedho asked him, do you think people, I mean, people don't know about much about Buddhism in England. They don't know about Buddhist monks. And well, how are we going to get support? They don't understand the Vinaya. They never support. And Ajahn Chah said, do you mean there's no good people in England? And he said, well, no. He said, well, if there's good people, you'll be all right. <laughs> What's that, you know? The sense of faith, not in Arahants, or, but just in human beings, that there's something in us that mirrors and resonates with the good. We reflect upon it. We bear it in mind. We reflect upon the difficulties and discomforts. We bear that in mind, and we put the two together, and we say, well, that, you know, that goes that way. You know, hanging on to to your body and materialism and consumers. Consumerism takes you. Where does that go? How far is that going to go? And this is also a possibility, which we don't know where it goes, but we know it's somehow open, opening up, causing us generosity, causing us letting go, causing a sense of faith to arise. So you, you just pick it up like that. You pick up these these senses in 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 the field of the human experience. Where, where's the possibility? Where's that place where you, you come out of the known and the prescribed and the humdrum and the everyday? You just take, and it can be very small, you know. The little things we, we see that, oh, you don't need to do that. And, you know, you're actually relying upon your own, this transcending quality, thatness which can transcend a situation. And it's not come some kind of ultimate thing we're doing. We just recognize that the present thing we're in, we can, you know, we can see that in perspective. We can be a bit bigger than that. We can move out of that. So, you know, as we started this place down here, then, uh, I think, well, if eight people, only eight people can turn up in the middle of London, who's going to turn up in this place? Particularly, it's got holes in the roof, holes in the floor. Everything's falling down. No electricity, you know, broken down or ruin. Who's going to come here? But uh, people did. <laughs> because they thought, oh, they need, they need some help. Yeah. They need some help. Something in us loves to help. So in the middle of London, people don't, who don't necessarily get that signal, so we need some need some help. We didn't really have to make any big requests or fundraising. It just people turned up. And the first few year, or well, the first few months, it was you know we didn't we had to, people were out picking nettles from the hedgerows to eat, <laughs> garnering you know stuff that was growing in the hedges because we just had rice and beans. And then sometimes people come down with a big sack of food and some sugar and tea and things like that. But it was pretty basic. 
and uh, and yet because of that and that you know the faith and the sense of that which you knows what empathizes can respect people who are prepared to to live that way you know who are, who are signs of renunciation you can rising up so it's important to you know for us to always you know, have that remember that and to look for occasions where we have to go out a little bit on a limb one of the things that is comes becoming more common now in in, in britain for the monks and nuns is going tudong which means you just basically walk out the door with your bowl and whatever you need to keep yourself reasonably warm and dry often not quite enough <laughs> and make yourself available for those who who want to help you can't actually support yourself you, know, you can't you can't do that and you're not allowed to ask so you know that is uh, that particular you know point where we move out of the known and the secure and we're able to meet the discomfort the uncertainty the insecurities and say okay I'll, I'll instead of covering it up securing ourselves we actually want to move into that this is really where to my mind where the uh, what they call the buddha sasana or the buddhist cultivation the whole field of it really develops in this way so i just got this uh, email from a monk who was who'd been out of contact for a while because he'd gone off on walkabout in the in northumberland in march which is you know i mean going outside your door in northumberland in march is a major act of faith <laughs> but he'd gone off and lived in a forest for uh, three weeks and this forest is quite a large forest there's some fairly large areas of forest so he found an old uh, shepherd's hut where he could just about stay just about dry and uh, it was because it was quite far from a village he'd only better get to a village once every three days where he'd make a big expedition sometimes walking at night to get there and he'd get they'd go into the village with his bowl and get some food that would be it for the day the next day nothing to eat and on the third day by the time the third day Cameron just walk out into the forest for an hour or two and meet somebody somebody passing by would see him I think oh monk wood forest what are you doing oh well here's some food yeah and these are things that you, you really get a sense of the you know faith in the, the something very ordinary and simple and, and obvious in human beings and our ability to actually keep at that level which is not about ignoring the world nor is it about hanging on to the world but seeing and creating a situation where the world can change you know the worldly dumbers can change To me, this is uh, as important uh, in its own respect as anything subtle, uh, you know, or in, happening in one's mind. To see, to experience what we consider the world to be. You know, you look in the newspapers, sport, war, economics, 
fashion, you know, whatever that, all that sort of stuff, entertainments, and see that change. And, uh, so, of course, if we only saw what we can read about in the newspapers, it would indeed be a, a rather disappointing and experience. So part of our practice is, in a way, to to change the world. Sounds strange, because we're not, you know, creating some kind of political mission, but change the world by changing, or being, you know, an agent or a factor that causes human beings to start to operate in different ways because they want to, because they feel something moves them in that way. And to be part of that, to be part of that uh, realm of faith and empathy with others. When you really contemplate this, this, uh, what it is, you see, it's not, Self, it's not about a particular person, it's not about something I've got or have, it's a potential. And very often in the movement of faith, something has to let go of our structures, of who we assume we are, of our purposes, of our aims, of our, you know, just be open. So I remember when I was, uh, last time I did a, a Tudong, then you know, it was, sounds kind of inspiring and interesting, you know, sleep out in the woods, get up, walk into town with your bowl and uh, receive alms food. But when you, you know, when you, you haven't had any food for 23 hours or 22 hours and it's been cold and, and raining and your feet hurt and your back hurts and your, everything hurts, and you come into some town and stand with your bowl, you don't feel like uh, this is going to be people just lining up to give me food. In fact, most people don't. <laughs> so there's that very distinct sense of, I don't see why this should work. I can't see how this could work. You know, If I was walking the street, some fellow standing on a corner with a funny you know, shaven head and a funny brown robe on, I don't know what he's doing. I don't need to know what he's doing because, you know, I'm going somewhere else, you know. And I can't say anything. I can't rattle my bowl or hold a little placard or wave a flag. Um, And yet somehow, you know, that something... But that moment when you, you really sense, like, I can't make anything happen. I can't, at this moment, demonstrate great wisdom you know, skills because I'm just standing here. Uh, and that sense of the kind of nakedness of that, which um, really, you know, you see that everything in the mind starts trying to fill up that space where we're not able to manage, cope, fill in the blanks, finalize, get secure, get stable, when we, when we kind of, which is all that movement away from, from this, uh, vulnerability that we all have as humans just standing there being in your vulnerability and and holding it open mm. seeing what happens out of that
To me, this is a really, uh, this is spiritual life. It's very mundane, it's very humble, it's, uh, it's not that one feels necessarily always inspired, but we just recognize that, that edge and say, well, because I'm a human, I can move past that. And other ways that you, you cultivate, you keep your, your dumber perspectives, is you see that the, the other ways we tend to um, cut corners or dismiss things, I mean, uh, I can't be bothered, doesn't matter, in a hurry, doesn't bother me. You know, the, you feel these, these inflections of the mind. So really developing the sense of, of attention and conscience and concern, morality, conscience and concern. I notice that, that the, the, the one thing that, that arises that uh, is a, called like a squashing of scruples. That is, you think, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. You know, it doesn't really matter. Everybody does. Oh, you know, one doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know, that kind of that uh, thing around behaviour. Nobody, no, doesn't really. No, you know that. And I just feel that sense. I can sense that in myself. And it's well, whenever that happens, they stop. You know, uh, and it can be from monastic life. And it's kind of things like uh, even if you have a doubt about committing a a transgression. I think, well, if I have a doubt, then I will own up to it because I don't want to have that sense of, well, it doesn't really matter. You know, you can, uh, often you have this uh, rule where you can allow to have certain um, sweets and chocolates and things like that for a, a week, up to a week. You have this allowance and after that you have to give it up. And if you haven't given it up, then there's a, that's an offence. So you can get to think, have I had that for five days, six days? I've forgotten. Particularly when you're getting it on a bit, you forget how many days has gone by. You think, oh, it doesn't really matter. No. <laughs> if you're in doubt, then relinquish it. You know, better than just than uh, supporting the doesn't doesn't matter mind. And you have the same thing about robes. Like if you have a little hole in your robe, you've got to get it sewn up. Supposed to look after your roving, oh, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> and then you have routines, you think, well, it doesn't really matter if I turn up or not after all. You know, it doesn't really matter. But that's exactly why it matters. <laughs> not because the thing matters, but because that quality in your mind of doesn't really matter, that matters. Because <laughs> that's what's dulling. That's how we get habituated. That's how we start to lose the sense of, of freshness and openness, clarity. Mm. To really noticing. Yeah. Yeah. The mind can be clear. Yeah. And so you, these are very kind of ordinary things that we develop in some, you know, faith and conscience, conscientiousness, conscience. Mm.
And occasionally, you know, we might have regrets, things we said or done, it wasn't so good, you know, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Even if this was 10 years ago, I think I'd better go and say, um, I'd like to clear that, you know, because I don't want to be living with, doesn't really matter in my mind. You know, that, that shrugging. And these are kind of quite simple things, quite seemingly not particularly transcendent but you're transcending particular habits it's over time that the build up of this transcending of small habits of, of taking it easy of not looking of you know that you build up a, a whole uh, development you know the mind starts to shake off its its, its ignorance its unwillingness to see things it's like it's and it takes faith in its strength and clarity of seeing. And then the mind is something that you can actually enjoy. You see that uh, some of these uh, uh, strong habits begin to fade away and what's left is a openness, clarity, a certain, something that's joyful. It has a quiet joy to it, quiet gladness, because it's not Diverting, it's not pushing forward, it's not pushing back, it's still and it's open. And this is something that human, human mind can do. In fact, when you recognize, when you recognize what the options are around the rest of the human condition, thoughts take you so far, emotions take you so far, possessions take you so far, you know, and, and it's not that we're dismissing those, but the sense in which you use your thoughts, your handle your emotions, you cultivate your friendships, you supervise your possessions with this aim in mind. If these are rightly held, there's an integration of uh, this very life, this very mundane life, with something sublime and transcendent. So we have to just our, our daily practice we reflect on Requisites, not very transcendent, seemingly, but you re- when you reflect upon it, you know, um, what everyone needs, food, shelter, medicines, clothes, that. You know, and what for? You reflect on it just to keep this form going in order to practice. So something like that is a very helpful reflection because when you do that, you cut off all of the proliferations around these things that can occur. So you're changing the world. The, the kind of shopping things disappear. The shopping fantasies disappear because this is the way you change the world. So these are kind of common ways in which we start you know, the transcendent spirit, which is there, is given full room to, to work on our lives. That's why it's a precious, precious faculty, the precious human birth. Anyone?